Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. And what's up? Welcome in. GC Live Monday edition of the show. Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark. Here and glad to have the rest of you here as well. Welcome into the chat. Welcome in. What's up, Gamecock Russ? He is hopping in early. Jay Morris, what's up on YouTube? Uh, let's see. Facebook, Twitter, podcast stream, wherever you are joining us, we appreciate it. And we appreciate our good buddy, Clint Hammond. Clint Hammond and the Mortgage Network is the presenting sponsor of GC Live every single day. We obviously do three days a week during the football offseason and then every single day. Here in the football season, check Clint out, clinthammond.com. That's C-L-I-N-T-H-A-M-M-O-N-D.com. Or give him a call, 803-771-6933. Uh, the mortgage interest rates starting to creep up from what I saw. So go ahead, if you've been thinking about it, and if you can find a house to buy right now that you want, that you like, go ahead, lock that thing in, get that 30-year fixed, and then – don't have to worry about it again because they are still at all-time lows for the most part, but historical lows. You don't want it to creep back up to, um, you know, maybe you start losing a, a percentage point there or so. So, uh, again, what's up to the group that is already in our chat? And what's up to Chris Clark, who keeps teasing me that he's going to have a background soon? I thought today might be the day. Today is not the day, but maybe one day soon. Chris, what's up? What's up, man? I appreciate you, uh, you know, just bearing with me on that. Uh, I've used you as a sounding board for some potential designs. Well, don't let me overdo it there. On the, on the Designs. Yeah, it's not really a design. More of a background. And I have a couple of pieces, Wes, on the background. I, I gave you a little preview of. Uh, one, Two of them. Two little visual previews of some things that I've, I've thought about that are sort of exciting. One of them a historical piece of Gamecock Central memorabilia. What'd you think of that one? You think that was a good? I, I enjoyed it. I, th- I think the people, the people will enjoy it much more than that plain background. I think <laughs> if it actually got, yes, I have just a little bit of a, this is actually a diploma up in the top, but we, we can't really see it. Is you can't the, really see it. It's just a tease. So this whole thing's a tease. So eventually, you can kind of see it. That is, it's meant for you to not see. You're not supposed to see it. So, again, that's actually a happy accident, as Bob Ross would say. But we will we will eventually have a background. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, exactly where things are going to go. But a couple of little pieces that I think will work quite well that are sort of Gamecock-centric, since this is a Gamecock-centric show. And uh, I think, Wes, I keep saying this, a few more days. End of week. Beginning of next week, I think it's time to finally bust out the background. Well, we will we will believe it when we see it, but um, I, I do hope that maybe we'll, we'll say by Friday when um, we're, we're okay. when we're talking to Colin Taylor and he's previewing maybe some Gamecocks baseball this coming weekend. Maybe by then we will debut 
the background. Uh, plenty, to, plenty to talk about. Uh, had Gamecock baseball in action this weekend. Obviously, you had uh, South Carolina women's basketball in action on Sunday, getting a win as expected over Mercer. They will uh, play again on Tuesday night. And, of course, Chris, we were on the grass, man. We were actually out there the first time in over a year. Um, I, I posted the head uh, – I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was on Twitter. I, I said um, it was there was still there was still a reminder because literally feet away from us, they had Gamecock Park just rolling through the vaccines yeah. over there, which, like I said at the time, man, shout out to everybody over there volunteering, um, whether – I think you, you obviously have um, healthcare workers. You have other volunteers. I think they're just helping – uh, move things along. National Guard, I think, was helping run things over there. But, um, dude, shout out to those folks. Just, I mean, well-oiled machine. But then you, you roll on over to the football field. We were out there first time in over a year. It was great to just put feet on the grass. Um, the guys were excited. You, all, you always get everybody, every first day, I think, there's there's a level of excitement from the players. But, uh, that that was certainly the case on Saturday, and we'll have some ob- observations from that. And um, you know, man, I kind of felt like uh, Luke Day, Derek Moore, probably some Byron Gerardo as well. They, I felt like they were just sort of like the drumbeat of the practice. Like they set the the cadence, sort of like from from moment one. They were out there yelling, getting everybody pumped up, and Derek Moore sort of has his own almost unique style. I watched him go to about every single player. He's patting them on the head. He's getting them fired up, but then he's hugging them too. So that sort of, uh, to me, was a just brief glimpse at what this uh, sort of group is kind of all about. Yeah, it, it was pretty noticeable. And I, I think the the positivity that sort of is going through the program right now, it's something that Wes, the players, talked a lot about today. And they will have some of that some of those notes, you know, that you and Colin rolled from from the player availability today, a lot of that was just talking about the positivity in the program. A lot of the stuff that we've written from what we picked up from some sources in the offseason, you know, offseason workouts leading into the spring was just the the effort that has been made to inject some positivity into the program that needs a lot of positivity. And it goes beyond just the typical, you know, some people I think are a little bit, rightfully so, jaded by some of the maybe returns you hear from workouts or just, you know, for instance, if you say, well, so-and-so's gotten faster, we hear the guys are, are taking real water workouts. You, well, you hear that every off season. And to some degree you do um, because it's a new year, it's a reset, uh, it's a chance to get better. Um, and, and things tend to go pretty well in those situations until you have an opportunity for something to go wrong. Right. But it is a little different. I think we can say, having done this for a while now, um, we sound old now, but, but every time I say that, I, I feel old, but having done this for what, 11 years now covering the program full time, uh, it is a little bit different. Some of the stuff, it's not just also, and so got faster or, or whatever. There's been a sort of a concerted effort and Shane Beamer's talked about it from day one. It's been part of his plan, you know, to inject some positivity to the program. And, and you did see that during those warm-up periods, even a little bit during the practice. You know, we only got to see, what, three or four periods of practice. Uh, but it has been noticeable. And I think for certain guys in the program, that that mental aspect of things, it will help. I mean, R.J. Roderick's comments today, for instance, really 
I think encapsulated that pretty well in terms of, of just sort of what he needed after a rough stretch to end last year. No doubt, man. Excitement was there. I, I gotta say, so one of my I, I watched this three second clip more times than I even want to admit. So I we we may have to incorporate this into every single show. Um a quick glimpse at what Luke Doty, Gamecocks quarterback and Gamecocks hype man is all about. <laughs> Chris, you know where I'm going with this? Did you see this video? Oh yeah. On Twitter? Um Watched it way too many times. Football! Like I, I think that should which just open every single show with Football! I th- I think this almost caught oh, I don't know, will we get in trouble if we incorporate that into a new GC Live intro? We might need to ask written permission. But man. Perfect. Let let's do it. And then just ask for forgiveness. Yeah, I, I think – I mean, there's a credit on there. Look, it's up there. There's already yeah, credits built in. If, if if someone says something to us, we can just respond by saying – <laughs> Which apparently – so I, I have the I have the scoop on this, right? Luke Doty, since I don't know when, back in high school, has started like every single practice by yelling – football at the top of his lungs to That's anyone true. that will listen but they finally caught it on video so um that 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 is the new opening for our show if anyone yes. has a problem with it then they have a problem with me but uh that, that goes to show you man i, I think the, the guys it, it, was, it was good a to be back out there at school they caught that moment on video and um yes you're right man it's kind of we'll, we'll see what happens when when the pads go on and we'll see what happens when you line it up against actual teams wearing other jerseys. But um, I I was asked about this on uh, JB and Goldwater earlier, and my answer was, okay, as far as the football program goes, as far as the um, where you want to be as a football program, where you want to be as a football team, let's take it down to this year. The – there is still a long way to go, right? You're installing new schemes. You're installing, um, you know, you're moving guys around. You're get, putting guys in position to where you're looking for – you're already looking for your best 11 probably. But um, long way to go. Then you even zoom out. Where What do you want this program to be in, in a year? What do you want it to be in five years? Uh, you know, long way to go. But I think we are starting to see – what we've seen so far is like the foundation. So mm-hmm. if the vision – is like way off in the distance and you can sort of see it. It's kind of blurry, but you can see it. What we're seeing right now is like the first step. You're setting the expectations of what is expected within this program. And are you going to tweak it as you go? Yes. Are you going to sort of uh, move things around as you go? Absolutely. But um, we're getting that first look at what I think Beamer hopes to install um, as far as what we would all then say, this is what his program is all about. Yeah, and I think that when you think about the programs that not only win, um, it, it, and when I say this, the past several years, right? So the programs that not only win may be big, but at a sustained level, we talk about identity a lot. Like that's this big term that's thrown around. 
And normally people talk about it in terms of scheme, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, what's this team's identity? Almost to the point of my personal opinion, it irritates me a little bit. Well, what's this team's identity on offense? Well, you know, you can have a, lots of different types of identities, score points. You know, I mean, that you want to be good at everything on offense, no matter what type of scheme you're running. I think even more important than that is your your sort of cultural identity as a team. And, and that's another thing, like, in recruiting and within, like, team building, culture and family, these, these words get thrown around so much. I mean, there's these buzzwords everybody uses. You hear them from coaches. You hear recruits who go visit places. It's a family atmosphere. I'm looking for a family atmosphere. They got great culture. They, they say they have a great culture. But what it comes down to for me, Wes, is do you actually have it? Because, obviously, the number one thing you got to have in college football to win is talent. You got to acquire talent and you got to develop it. But your culture, your sort of underlying culture is going to be absolutely huge. And there can be a lot of different types of that. You think about, you know, two programs, and, and this will be a painful, somewhat of a painful subject for some Gamecock fans, but Clemson's been a really good program. And a lot of that's been built on their sort of culture that they built there, their unique style. style. You, you contrast that with another program that's been awesome in the last several years, Nick Saban's Alabama program, quite different in how they run, both very effective. And so Shane Beamer in his opening press conference talked, yeah, about winning games and such, but what he really focused on was building the premier culture. So for him, it was, uh, you know, build the culture and have everything else flow out from that. So like you said, Wes, it's about right now setting expectations, setting the tone of your team and things like that. Then within that, you have to get better. You have to recruit even better players. But having the foundation of what you want to be as a program, I think, is big because there's also been a lot of college football teams over the years. You can point to some very specific examples. I think FSU, after they won the national title, for instance, what was that, 2013, they fell off precipitously after that. They had tons of talent on that team. But a lot of the they didn't win a lot of games. And a lot of that, I think, and there's been stuff written about this was because of the culture within the program, not the right kind of kids, not the right kind of atmosphere. And so having that combination, that winning combination of talent, plus a really good culture where you can respond to adversity, you're really close. Those things definitely help, I think, in terms of building a program. Yeah. Can, can you say that word again, Chris? Which word? precipitously that's that's got i thought football was going to be the word of the day but um no it is yes but you've also given us our our word of the day that's an all-timer clip right there yeah i'm gonna play that every show i'm sorry y'all y'all are gonna get annoyed with me but i'm cool with it but so chris uh all right we're we're giving sort of the, the big picture the vibe the energy all that stuff yeah Let's throw everybody a bone if they weren't, if they're not a Gamecock Central subscriber. Hopefully you are anyway. And we've already sort of typed, we typed about it, so let's talk about it. Um, give me one observation from Saturday. Um, either A, that you've already typed about, or B, that you, um, may, maybe maybe you're leaving this one out there for later on. Give, give me one thought from Saturday. Well, I'm I'm not going to do the easy. EJ Jenkins is really tall and big, you know. I'm not. Yeah, see, that's what I'm going to do. So let saying? me do that one. Yeah. Go for it. And I anticipated that move, so I will I will go around it. 
here's one I thought of that I wrote about for me. Um, and, and this may sound a little silly. It was just seeing some of the guys that were not available last year or have had prolonged stretches of being unavailable for South Carolina back on the field and seemingly healthy right now that has to last. Um, but we saw Ortre Smith, right? He looked good. We'd, we'd heard um, in the offseason that he's looked the best physically that he has. He was running around. There's no no brace. No, you know, he looked fine. No sleeve, no anything on the knee. No, nothing. Just just out there, bare knees. You know, I mean, look, look <laughs> fine. You know? And so um, <laughs> that that was a good thing, I think. He, he looked good running around and conditioning. Everything seemed to check out there. Um I think, you know, you look at Sherrod Green, who missed most of last year out there. Jamar Brown, who only played in one game last year, missed basically the entire season. He was out there. Rosendo Lewis was out there. Um, you know, the, the linebacking core in particular has some depth concerns and questions, and so they've got more guys available. Rosendo Lewis has missed tons of practice time. You know, uh, Jamar Brown's missed tons of practice time. So guys that were out there, Orche Smith hadn't been out there in obviously quite a while. Chad Terrell did have a knee brace on, but obviously he's someone that has had two knee surgeries. And so that was a, a significant question in the offseason to the point, Wes, where I will be quite honest, neither of us really had Chad Terrell at the forefront of our mind. And maybe you still don't, right, because got to prove some things during spring ball. But we'd already had a very good offseason. And then and, and put up some really good speed times and seems healthy and all those things. So that was honestly something that stood out to me is just looking around and going, oh, here's these guys that we just have not seen in a while and they looked healthy. And I think on day one where it's tough to get a feel for scheme or depth charts, or things like that this early, I think that was something that stood out pretty significantly to me. Yeah, and um, Chad Terrell, I believe, Chris, ran off there with the first group. So – that um, and, and I say that I, I I posted this on the board as well with, with some of our observations. Don't read too much into anything you see as far as who goes out there first, you know, because there and there are still several guys that um, you know are are quote injured, but not not like really injured as far as it being some long term thing or you know that are out there maybe running around but not able to actually go line up um, obviously. And we don't really go into detail or even really ask for detail on some of this stuff, but you still have possible, you know, COVID contact traces or even, you know, COVID positives. Like it hasn't completely gone away. So um, there will be time to time where we may say, well, this guy's working with the ones from what we saw. Well, that may be because the guy who would have been with the ones is just not practicing that day, but we don't know why, or it's not even that noteworthy that he's not, if that makes sense. But Chris, to me, when you see a guy that, like you said, sort of was mostly written off by fan base, by us, um, you know, hadn't done a whole lot in his career. And then, he is up there, you know, working with the first or second team. That probably means that some of the things we had heard about, you know, he's had his best offseason yet. At the very least, he is being rewarded for, for that work, right? And then yeah. generally I, I think football and sports go like this. If you take a step up in the offseason, 
and do what you're supposed to do or go above and beyond and take a big step forward, that produces an opportunity for you. Now, what you do with that opportunity is going to determine, you know, is is this maybe an actual budding storyline to watch within the spring? Or is this more like, you know, it's a veteran guy that that maybe can get on the field a little bit this year, but isn't necessarily, you know, going to be like a huge part of the offense. Right. We don't know yet. That that is to be determined. I, I think we, but we can have the conversation hopefully without people saying, "Well, you know, they're saying he's going to catch seventy balls this year." Um, shot, Dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it, it is still worth noting when a guy has has a really great off season. And and for me, in, in the same light, man, like having uh, you know a Jalen Nichols slotted at left guard um and and I do you know I do believe I, I saw Jordan Rhodes out there um maybe with the second group at, at guard and he's a guy I think is going to have a chance to start at guard this year so to me seeing Jalen Nichols um very athletic kid for a big man had came in with a great vertical leap that's something you know vertical a vertical leap for a big guy that you know I think we both knew Eric Wolford always sort of put some priority on guys that that showed that explosiveness in, in a vertical. This is a kid that has played tackle, but I think we always looked at him and said, with his movement ability and thickness, he could be a guard. And it gives you gives you some athleticism at guard. Also a kid that played a lot as a true freshman, got off maybe, maybe to a slow start for whatever reason last year, wasn't necessarily in the mix at the beginning of the year. We won't speculate as to why, but that to me – I, that to me was at least worth taking notice that he he was out there with the first group. It was, yeah. I mean, and obviously when you look at there's several different guys on this team that have started games for South Carolina, but you felt like at certain spots, you know, Dylan Wanham at right tackle and, and Eric Douglas at center, you know, there were some spots that were potentially going to be entrenched, you know, or have guys that had a really good shot, shot of starting unless they shuffled things around some more, but. You know, the biggest question was probably that left guard slot. Maybe right guard when you talk about Javon Gwynn, who was with the first team at right guard. Rhodes, where does he fit in? But left guard, where you lose Sedarius Hutcherson, that's the one that's most alarming because Hutch was a really, really good player. I mean, really good player. Uh, he's going to play in the league. So, you know, that was the one you pointed to. So, sort of, who does that become? Is, is it Rhodes? Is it, um, you know, Jalen Nichols, at least for day one? That, that was the case. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. Again, nothing to get too, you know, you know uh, excited about in terms of this is definitely the direction it's going, but a possibility there. You know, another one I wondered about, Wes, something I wrote about this morning is where does guy more fit in? You know, he was a guy that was out there, uh, limited on, on day one at least. Don't have any real details about that quite yet, I don't think. But, you know, where does he fit in? Obviously, his experience has been at tackle, but he has that body type to where he could slot at guard as well. So there are some options, I think, interesting that, that are inside. Yeah, Reed asked why, uh, you know, why was Rick Sandage not out there? Uh, why was he in a boot? I, You know, I, I'll be honest, we'll sort of – we shy away for the most part, even, you know, even if we do find out, we'll shy away for the most part from, from injury details uh, just because you you kind of have to play it by ear. What What is generally – accepted um, what is considered giving away too much information about a guy. There obviously are are some, you get into some laws there as well. So um, 
we generally try to shy away from that a little bit while also providing as much insight as we possibly can. Um, you know, ho- hopefully for him, not some long-term thing. I've, I've actually, I've heard that, that Rick has had a good off season. You, you look at the defensive line, Chris, and whether that is on the, on the edges, uh, which they're calling, they're calling those positions, you know, edge now in, in general, both of your sort of defensive end spots. And then you look on the interior that there's a nice mix on really on both those spots of some guys who have played um, at some young sort of like second year type guys. And then of some, you know, some, some guys who are young, but haven't really played, but I, I think there's some upside, some ability there. Um, Taka Hemingway, by the way, one of the guys that spoke today would not confirm that he's with the interior guys, but we did see him working out with the interior guys. That sort of maybe confirmed a little bit of something that, you know, you had kind of heard, I think, Chris, but yeah. I want to, I want to know what Tonka is actually weighing in at some of the, some of the, the roster stuff can sometimes be outdated listed at 270. And we had a little bit of maybe hand wringing on our message board. Imagine that on Gamecock central about, well, why is he moving to the interior at 270? Um, well, for one, he may actually be more than 270. For two, with a young guy, and we talked about this. I, I think we were probably spot on with this one, Chris, because we had heard it from so many places. Played baseball, played football, played basketball. It's hard to – you're not going to be up to 300 pounds no. playing three sports in, in high school. So he's one, you know, you start to think about getting the best best four up front on the field. After that, you start looking at what's what's the best eight? What's the best sort of where you have your best depth, your best players, they're all on the field. Um, I'm not writing off Tonka Hemingway helping on the interior as a true sophomore, which last year really didn't even count. So he has four years of eligibility yeah. um, because he's 270. I think that's very short-sighted. Um, guys grow – in a strength and conditioning program all the time. So uh, that to me was one of the other, I mean, it's kind of a smaller thing, but uh, that at least was worth discussion that, that we saw on Saturday. Yeah, that, that was a, a pretty significant, I think, move. Obviously he played outside last season and, and you're right. You know, you think back to high school, you know, he, he was going between what, 250 and 280. There was like this wide range that, that Tonka would go between depending on football and baseball, basketball. And we always knew that once he focused fully on football, he would have a chance to, to really reach sort of that growth potential and stay there. Now, obviously you're thinking about playing a guy inside that changes the equation of what you want him to weigh and, you know, some of the different metrics there, but actually asked, um, you know, somebody I talked to a good bit who's pretty familiar with the roster about the Tonka move and, and, you know, maybe sort of how it plays in. And the response that I got back was, you know, that that once he fills out fully, if he stays on the interior and the goal is to keep him there, that once he fills out, he's probably more of a guy that's like 285 or so, right? Tonka Hemingway's not going to weigh 320 pounds, we don't think, right? I mean, that'd be pretty shocking if that ended up happening. So he's going to be 285 or so. And it was also pointed out, I mean, he's one of the highest character kids on the team. Like he's going to work extremely hard. That's something we heard all year as a freshman. He just does a great job. Drew a lot of like DJ Wanham comparisons with the work ethic as a freshman, how quickly he took to things. And that, 
you know, Kier Thomas was a guy that ended up playing inside and outside for South Carolina and inside did a really good job with his quickness. He was always a little bit undersized, sometimes too undersized. And then he put the weight back on. So Tonka could end up on the interior with his specific role could end up, you know, playing a similar type of role to what you would think of for a Kier Thomas. So, uh, but but a really good player, you know, and, and I'll be interested to see that move. I think, Wes, in some ways, this defensive line is a little bit in the same position that it was last year, like going into last year. The big question was who can step up? They need Jabari Ellis to step up. They need Rick Sandage. They need Zach Pickens to step up. It's, they're still in that boat, right? Jabari Ellis is sort of le- the leader of that group, I think, from a rep's you know, leadership standpoint, we've found out since he said it publicly, he played last season at what was it? 265, 260, 265. So Jabari Ellis has put on more weight. Really, they need some other guys to emerge. They need Zach Pickens to take that next step, you know, because they were in the position of having lost. You talk about this all the time. Kobe Smith, super Mm -hmm. underrated. And then Javon Kinlaw, who, we knew what they had there and and they lose those guys and then didn't get quite what they needed quite yet from some of the other ones on the interior. So another very tiny thing that took my brain a second to get a hold of Chris, the, the Jersey swap because yes. How, how long has South Carolina been garnet offense, white defense? As long as I can remember. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I can't remember another time. The blue the blue threw me off. That was a, like, what is well, this? Well, at least that, you're like, oh, that's different. But your brain, I'm seeing 32 right. white. Yeah. You know, 32 white jersey. And I'm like, that ain't Mo Kaba. Like, what? You know, it's kind of um, your, your brain has seen that for, I mean, I want to say every practice I've ever been to. Yeah. So, so that swapped. And so we assume Blue is injured but practicing, like banged up uh, assumption completely. And then Green, we know, is quarterbacks now. The Golds, I guess, just got burned or something. We didn't see the gold jerseys out there. And tell tell me if I'm going too far into spring day one overanalyze mode um, or if I'm – possibly onto something. So one thing when I was trying to sort of reach out right before spring started and, and get a feel for lay of the land, some things to watch for, um, you know, I was told team, 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 as in team first has been just constantly sort of beat into the the sort of fabric of, of the program right now. And it's the, – the, the message is – if you if you come here and you do what you're supposed to do and you're good enough to go to the NFL, you're, you're going to get to the NFL. But while you're at South Carolina, you're coming to play for a team at South Carolina and play for your teammates and play for your school. Um, no names on the back of the practice jerseys. That They've had names on the back of the practice jerseys before. Do you, do you think that is completely by design that – the names were not on the jerseys. I mean, I, obviously, I, I think it's a safe assumption they're going to have names on their jerseys when the, the season rolls around. There are still a few college programs that go completely traditional 
with no names, right. but but kids want their name on the back of their jersey, like one hundred percent. I don't think you're going that old school, but to and it, it was pointed out to me as well. Like, hey, do you notice there there weren't any names on the back of the jerseys? Am I reading too far? Or and I'll I'll open it to the chat as well. Am I reading too far into it, or is there something to that? I think there could be something to that. Certainly. Um, now, the, the what I let let's let's psychoanalyze it even more. The switch of the garnet and the white, just to change it up, because let's try something new. Yeah, or or is there a is there a Luke Day? I feel like Luke Day would be the Logistical one to have some philosophical it? reasoning. Right, right. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that there could be some deep, you know, maybe 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 Luke Day and Eric Kimry got together in some brain trust, and they they have a they've published a paper on the. Uh, the virtues of garnet on a specific side of the football, or, or something like that. Who knows? I, I could see that, but no, I, I think. <laughs> well, you're you're joking, Chris, but it it's it could happen. Oh, I really wasn't joking. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the you know the the thing about the jerseys that would be a good note for us to actually run down, you know, to like confirm. But I think you could certainly be on that. It's probably that's probably not part of like COVID cost savings in the yeah. athletic. Department to not letter the practice jerseys. Um, so I don't know. And, and good point here from Hunter, Hunter Johnson. Um, the practice jerseys don't have the names, but the workout t-shirts did. So, um, so I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, um, and let's see, WJM41 says, I wonder if that's how Oklahoma had their setup. I, I don't know, y'all. And, and may, maybe it's just a delay in getting them. Print it on there. I, I don't know. That's it's spring. It's just a thought. But when, when I kept when I kept hearing team team team, and then I saw no names on the back. It, it sort of just got got um, you know, the, the brain turned on there a little bit. Uh, I've got a, I got a couple notes, Wes. Since that question was asked about Oklahoma, I very quickly did my duty. That was and, very quick, man. Yes, thank you, thank you. And and look some stuff up here, Oklahoma goes with what would their color be? Crimson, red, whatever. Crimson or red on offense. White on defense. They go, it appears they go blue non-contact for the quarterbacks, which South Carolina was green. So we can psychoanalyze green for quarterbacks. And uh no names on the back of practice jerseys at Oklahoma. Okay. I got you. It says names on the back. I'm looking, let me see when this is from. This is from last spring, or I'm sorry, the spring of 19. There are no names on these practice jerseys for spring of 19. So in 20, maybe that changed. I don't know. Okay, so I mean, we're y'all. You know, it's spring. We're gonna we're gonna analyze and overanalyze, and that's right. But it, it, it is worth mentioning. And I, you know what, man? I think uh, I think maybe maybe we'll make maybe we'll sort of push Colin to ask the jersey thing because it's kind of one of those questions that. Maybe there's some really cool story here, or maybe, um, or maybe that's also a question that can get you an answer that makes you look like an absolute idiot because they're like, "Why are you asking about the jerseys?" 
So we just randomly picked it out of a hat and we just decided to save time by not lettering him. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let's see. Next practice is tomorrow. And then um, pro, pro timing day will actually be Wednesday. Uh, yeah. Wednesday at one, but that is not open. Due, that's normally open. We can normally go out there, not open due to COVID. At least they're having it. They were not able to have it last year. So, um, and I haven't even, Chris, seen a, a list or a link of everybody that's going to be in it. I think we'll have a better idea for that tomorrow. But um, well, any other thoughts, uh, either big picture or small picture, on Saturday or spring moving forward? Yeah, so, I mean, moving forward, um, obviously we, we have way, way more questions than answers. We're sitting here talking about why jerseys may or may not be lettered on the back, and so th- there are tons of questions still. You know, we we got to see actually a little – like we saw the offense. They had three – what was it, three or four different sort of units offensively moving down the field, doing some little quick stuff where we didn't even really see formations. It was more of – you know, quarterback under center and shotgun and, and some different things going on there. And it basically gave us a sense of, hey, here's here's what a very early sort of depth chart, quote unquote, could look like that doesn't mean a whole lot of anything. But but I still think moving forward, schematically, getting a good sense of what this team looks like in some actual formations, that, that would be cool. But, you know, defensively, I think there's some questions from a personnel standpoint there. There are you know, maybe a couple spots you feel pretty good about. For me, probably that's the edge guys because you've got, you know, your Aaron Sterling and JJ Anibari, Jordan Birch types back. That's probably the spot you feel best about. But I think assessing the personnel and the combinations in the secondary, that's something that we, I don't want to say we have no clue, but to some degree we don't. I mean, what is that going to look like just because of some of the personnel losses? Um, and even at linebacker, just sort of seeing how that depth chart may play out. But for me in the secondary, that's the biggest thing. And then some of the looks that Clayton White's going to present defensively, we can go back and look at some of the tape from what he's done in the past. And it was discussed a little bit with some of the players today of, of how they'll attack things. But I, I think there's still a lot of questions. You know, you're talking about new schemes in every all three phases of the game. I think that's something that we still have to sort of get a hold of as spring goes on. Yeah, man, and in, in the same light, I'm, you know, I'm the guy that gets caught up in – I, I want to know which guy is playing which particular spot, who's right. working behind him, um, you know, and that's something – and you and I aren't big, like, press conference guys anyway. Don't get on there. Don't ask a lot of questions. Um, a lot of the press conference stuff is more, uh, you know, how did it feel to be out there, um, what's, difference, what's the difference in the scheme, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I, I thought we did get a little bit, by the way, if you want to go get the full sort of recap. Um, Colin will have some stories today on Gamecock Central. I've got some like a little notes section on Gamecock Central. But, you know, I, I did notice uh, when R.J. Roderick talked, he, you know, he was asked what spot are you at uh, in, within the secondary. And he said, he said I'm primarily playing or sort of only playing, I believe the way he said it, uh, both safety spots, which actually that one answer told me two things about the scheme that, uh, you know, we small things, but maybe we didn't know. And one is that RJ to this point uh, has not sort of been slated as being the nickel. We wondered would he be like the nickel type guy in this scheme or not so far? No, he is playing 
um, safety. Two, that told us that the two safety spots are not really, it sounds like maybe not interchangeable, that they are more that they're true to different safety spots with different skill sets but within the scheme. And um, he, did, he didn't explicitly say this, but he did sort of hint that maybe Jalen Foster is currently working. He, he, RJ basically said he was working alongside Jalen Foster. Gave me the impression RJ and Jalen are working with the ones at, at safety right now. Could That could not be the case. But based on what we already know about who's available and uh, that position and the fact that they are older guys, sounds like they're working there. I would love to know. I need to find out who's working with the ones at, at nickel, you know, early on. Yeah. And, and that nickel spot, obviously you're, you're going to play a good bit of nickel in, in college football anyways nowadays, but that's, you know, Clayton white bases out of it, which, you know, I think there was a lot made of that. I mean, South Carolina at various times, you know, based out of nickel a good bit, you know, when they played uh, defensively the past several years, now they, they ended up playing a little bit more Sam, uh, three linebacker sets too, and they'll and they'll play some of that, you know, under Clayton White as well. But you're going to have to play a lot of nickel, and so that's the question, man. In the secondary, depth issues, questions even about your starters. It's not just, hey, here, here we have a pretty good sense of probably who the best five, who the top five are. You know, there there's some splitting of hairs of hey, maybe this guy fits in, you know, this particular spot. You remember, like last year, it was is Jamie Robinson a safety or nickel, and and t- things like this. Now it's almost like, who are your top five? And and because of the depth, I mean, losing, you know, Horn, McQuamu, Jamie Robinson, uh, John Dixon, I mean, losing all these guys that could play and had experience playing. So obviously RJ is going to factor prominently into that. Guys like Jalen Foster, some transfer help maybe with a guy like David Spalding. So, uh, you know, Marcellus Dow, Isaiah Norris will not be in the spring, but once he enrolls, Lots of questions there. So that's a question that needs to be answered during the spring and spot they really need to get better at in the secondary in general. Yeah, circle Marcellus Dial. Uh, As far as guys, nobody really has known what to expect from him yet. Complete newcomer, you know, coming in in the spring. Some very quiet, but but is there, some very quiet early buzz for the fact that Marcellus Dial could help this team a lot this year. We'll see if that materializes. But the the early buzz is starting to build there. That and the, as you just said, man, the need that it's wide open. The opportunity is there for all these guys to, to play. So um, and then just uh, I think sometimes Chris, we get caught up when we report, hey, that you know this guy, this guy's had a great offseason. This guy's doing what he needs to do. This guy's going to get a chance. He's going to go play. Well, then that still doesn't guarantee what they're going to do once you play another opponent. You know, winning the job is as good as you can do when you're not playing an opponent, you know. So we can report this guy has had a great camp. He wins a starting job. That's not the case yet. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in general, sometimes there is some heat, I feel like, between media and fans because the expectations get built up a little too high when people people want to hear the insight. They want to hear who is stepping up. They want to hear who is taking hold of a position. Well, the first step is to take hold of a position. Well, then you have to go match up and see what happens when you play somebody else. And frankly, 
you have two positions. I think we talked about this maybe last week. You have two positions with the receiver and DB where both sides you're trying to find out who your guys are, but they're literally across from each other every time you line up, right? So is it that they're both elevating or they're both not, you know, not where they need to be? So uh, that that is sometimes how the excitement builds up and then a team doesn't, you know, live up to the excitement maybe the fans build up uh, but that, that's neither here nor there some some people are asking about quarterback I, I do think as much Chris as much as Luke Doty Luke Doty was as much of a leader I feel like as you can be as a true freshman but you had you had Ryan Holinsky already on campus he'd already been here a full year you had Colin Hill coming in Veteran guy, new, obviously the offense coordinator, the quarterback, and most impl- the quarterback's coach, and most importantly, knew the offensive scheme. Then you're moving Doty around, playing him at, at wide receiver. It's hard to be the leader of that group with all those guys sort of a little bit ahead of you. Yeah. I think you're starting to see Doty just some things we hear, some things we maybe see a little bit with our eyes, kind of try to take, you know, complete kind of ownership of the offensive side of the ball and, and be the guy over there. Well, is there going to be a quarterback battle? Yes, every position is open. Shane Beamer has said as much. But I tend to think the experience with this group, um, even if it was a different offense, was big for Doty going into this year and something he's probably already appears to be building off of. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the circumstances that he worked under once he got to take the reins last year were, I mean, about as not ideal as you could get, right? It's a, it's a struggling banged up team. You have not, like you said, Wes, you you have not been even taking reps at quarterback all year. You're in a system that has some complexities under Mike Bobo, right? You, you remember one of the things that we mentioned was like early in the year, they were calling, you know, two plays at once. And and you got a guy in Colin Hill who knew that playbook that could do that. Well, now you're handing it off to a freshman who, by the way, hasn't even been in the room the whole time. So um, they had to simplify things there. You're playing really good comp- – I mean, one of Luke Doty's games was Georgia, <laughs> one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, and he's a true freshman. I mean, and, and by the way, did not have a, a lot of complimentary playmaking receivers at his disposal. So just so many circumstances. So taking that adversity and being able to build on that. And we always knew that Luke had not only talent, but a lot of leadership traits, you know. And so uh, that was easy to see even during the recruiting process, even during as a freshman. You know, we consistently heard that he was one of the guys that was one of the best leaders, super positive guy. And he certainly carried that over, you know, this season to where you fully expect that no matter what happens, he's going to be one of the sort of the vocal leaders and one of the heartbeats of this team. Well, and I want to emphasize something you said, Chris. The the sort of moving to wide receiver, that there was a lot of talk early on about how he was doing a lot of both and sort of going back and forth between the two. Well, there was a point early early season. Season had started there in game week. Luke Doty was with the receivers only. 
<laughs> you know? Uh, so it's important, important to emphasize that because then, like you said, by the end of the year, you're being thrown into the mix at quarterback as the starter. And then you got everybody because, um, you know, because you sort of see some potential the second half against Missouri, these expectations start to to creep up there. You know, can, not that there, anybody expected the season to be saved at that point, but that, um, you know, you, you expected him to, to play really well, which, like you said, man, against Georgia, that's it, – it's just – it's not going to happen. So the, the great thing, though, about Luke Doty, Chris, is I think he's not a guy that's going to let the finish to last year. Some quarterbacks you're almost worried about throwing them into the fire if it's not probably going to go well. You don't want them to lose their confidence. Mm-hmm. I don't think Doty is that kid. I think he just embodies, uh, you know, confidence. So th- this is obviously a big offseason for him. There's a lot of learning on the offensive side for everybody. But I do think – I think offensively and defensively, one of the things not being talked about enough is maybe a simplification of schemes on both sides of the ball. Because you and I have been told many, many times, everybody knows the Bobo stuff, uh, more pro style, lots of verbiage as far as what the quarterback has to say. Um, Defensively, the must-champ scheme, uh, you know, Heavy save and emphasis. There's a lot on the safeties in that scheme. We've talked about that. Um, hard to play fast when you're thinking. I, I think that that's a key for for Carolina as they install these new looks. Yeah, definitely. And and so one of the things that came out of practice today, at, l- at least from one player, maybe they both mentioned it, was the fact that you know they they were going to be more. Uh, attacking up front in terms of what they did defensively to try to get after the quarterback, which I know will be music to Gamecock fans' ears. Now everybody want to actually see it, but we do know that South Carolina has some guys that, um, whether on paper from skill set like a Jordan Birch or guys who have actually proven they can do it, JJ and Ibarre, Aaron Sterling, you know that they got some guys that can do that. But um, you know, simplifying things on the back end, which you may need to do that both out of necessity this year, Wes, because of the depth. Uh, issues and, and frankly, maybe some of the talent issues that they've, they've got to get a little bit better there, uh, but also just simplifying things so guys can play faster. And so uh, that is something that we've heard about Clayton White's scheme. And so uh, if they can go out there and do that and, and just go play ball, you know, obviously it's going to be tough enough with some of the teams that they're going to have to match up against just to go cover guys, just to go say, go play man. That's that's tough enough, right? So for some of these guys, giving them the ability to go play a little bit more free and fast may be helpful for them. CJ uh, says I should try the new Barry Blitz by Body Armor. I got to say, y'all, if, you, if you're looking for a uh, non-water but not, like, awful for your drink, Body Armor Light, I roll with the peach mango every time. Um, that's my go-to. I've Honestly, it's kind of at the point where I probably drink them more than I should. Um, but I, I do. Lo- I love these things. Reed wants to ask. Uh, Reed, we we got to get you hooked up with a Gamecock Central subscription, man. You would you would know this, but um, EJ Jenkins is working with the tight ends instead of wide receivers. He was asking, and all right, so we got about let's say eight and a half minutes left. We'll talk a little bit about the other sports, and I, I want the rest of you, the the folks on the chat, to weigh in. Like to take the pulse. Where is the fan base right right now on the baseball team? 
because, you know, we all know started the season with 11 wins, then um, dropped the six games in a row, which, you know, again, man, I, I think that the real just killer there is, is sort of getting beat up by Davidson in, in the midweek. You can explain away a, a lot of everything else that happened. But I, I do think if this season gets turned around, um, because baseball is one of those games where, I mean, you can look absolutely awful one day and then look awesome the next. And and that that's just the game will humble you. And so if, if this season gets rolling, which I'm not sitting here blowing smoke saying it is, I'm saying – as everyone in the chat so far is saying, it could go either way. Um, but if it gets rolling, we will look back on Sunday, on yesterday, and say that was the game that sort of sparked things. Because you had lost six in a row. You you got no hit on Saturday. And um, this Jack Leiter kid is a freaking – Phenom. I thought um, Tracy Rocker's kid, um, Kumar Rocker, was a stud, which he is. But this lighter kid, geez. So they have two phenoms, first and second, and uh, in their you know in their pitching rotation. You're down what four nothing early in this game. Yeah. It it would be very very easy to get down on yourself, and. So I, I'm I'm running errands on on Sunday because I you know Chris and I don't directly cover baseball but keep up with it I'm running errands listening to the game watch the game partially on TV watch the game partially on my phone um, and I, I hear the crowd into this game and I'm like well the crowd you know the crowd hadn't the crowd's been kind of dead so far who like how did everything get so rowdy all of a sudden. And I realized that's the Carolina dugout that despite being down, despite the six losses in a row, and this was before Kingston tried to, you know, the get thrown out to fire your guys up move. This is well before that. Like, you know, give them credit. That's cool, whatever. But the guys were in this game mentally. Yeah. Kept battling back. Faced, even as they were coming back, faced adversity. You had bases loaded, and then you hit into a double play, and you're like, well, that could be an inning killer, even though you scored a run. It sets you up, you know, it sets Vandy up to get out of the inning. And, um, you know, but South Carolina has a great bunt uh, for bunt for base hit that goes for a run for Braylon Wimmer, who, by the way, may actually quietly be the best player on South Carolina's team for whatever reason. I love that kid. He can do so many things well. Um, I want to be Braylon Wimmer when I grow up. But the uh, – that that game, Chris, probably told me um, more about this team, the no quit attitude, than any game we have seen this entire season. And then, as Eric says, uh, you know Brett Carey. What what more can you say about him? You do you you know you've got to get in some situations now where you get to use your closer. You can't go to Sunday not you know not able to use your closer. That's been the case the last two weekends, but. Um, just, just impressed with the the don't don't quit attitude from, from this group, and 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 we'll see if they can maybe build off of it moving forward. Yeah, and I think that's the question. It's still too early to know if 
if, you know, what we saw when the competition stepped up with South Carolina and even, you know, you count in that, that Davidson midweek game that South Carolina dropped and just didn't generally didn't look very good in. Um, was that just sort of a slump for the whole team? I mean, maybe. I mean, uh, those types of things happen. I think, look, losing two out of three to Vandy would have been a fine result for this team. We said it before the year. They could go down and, and have just sort of a pedestrian SEC record, this team, and be a really good team because there's a lot of really good teams, great teams, which I think Vanderbilt is, in the conference. Now, nobody wants to hear that. The goal is go win the conference, make it Omaha. I mean, that's that's sort of the expectations for these for this team. And so, but Vandy's really good, man. And and I mean, Leiter is up there, the the day two starter for Vandy you mentioned. We talked a lot about Kumar Rocker. Colin talked some about Leiter. They lost that first game, what, three to two to Rocker. Mm-hmm. It's a close game, you're in it. Day two was a disappointing result because you got no hit, right? I mean, that's just that's not good. But the team's slumping. Lighter was on fire. Wes, he had thrown 117 pitches and was at 95. I mean, I, I just, you know, I don't want it to sound like an excuse, but it's, it's a freaky thing. But, yeah, to come back on Sunday was certainly a big win for this team. And the Texas game was disappointing. A Davidson midweek, you know, sort of a – I mean, it is what it is. Now it's just about trying to see if you can use that as a springboard to get back on track. We do know this team is capable of hitting. We know they have, and they showed it even against Vanderbilt, they've got good pitching. You know, they've got really good starting pitching on Friday and Saturday especially, uh, and they've got bullpen guys that have shown that they can do it. Some of them are young. There's still some inconsistencies there. Uh But this is a team that's talented and capable. You don't sit there and sit and take this whole body of work and say that the first half of the season was the same type of deal. They've shown that they can turn it on. So can they do it? Will they use Sunday as a springboard? We shall find out. They play again Tuesday, the Citadel. Also Tuesday, South Carolina women's basketball back at it as they will try to advance to the Sweet 16. South Carolina getting a win over Mercer on Sunday night. They uh, pull away from Mercer and uh, now will face Oregon State again in the Alamo Dome. 7 p.m. Tuesday, ESPN. Uh, this if South Carolina wins. It will be their 11th Sweet 16 appearance um, just in the last, we'll say, decade or so. Sweet 16 in 2012, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019. Obviously, last year, no tournament. So South Carolina lives in the Sweet 16 under Dawn Staley. Uh, made it to the Elite Eight in 2015, 2017, and 2018, and made it to the Final Four in 2015 and 17, and, of course, a national title in 2017. Uh, Chris, a business-like, I would say, win for uh, for the Gamecocks on Sunday. And Don Staley gets to career win number 500, which, uh, man, if you, if you get to 500 of, of anything in, in sports – you were doing something right. And uh, shout out Don Staley. Many, many, many more wins to come. This is not like some yeah. career achievement thing. This is a this is a step uh, in the process of what will be many, many more wins. But nice W for the Gamecocks, and they will uh, try to beat Oregon State on uh, on Tuesday in advance. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts on 
uh, that win for the Gamecocks, Chris. Yeah, checked out most of that game, and um, you know Mercer hung around. They shot Mercer shot the ball well pretty early. South Carolina, you know, little inconsistent in the beginning of the game, but really what happened is it just took over in the paint. You know, defensively they turned it up. Aaliyah Boston, Victoria Saxon, Victoria Saxon, they they really turned it up in the post, and so I think they going into halftime right before South Carolina had stretched it to I think eleven. And you sort of thought that South Carolina would have a chance to come out and sort of do what they're supposed to do against the 16 seed. Although, although a good Mercer team, it's been I think three out of the last four years they've been in the tournament, so a good team, good program there. Uh, but we're able to come out and, and com- very comfortably win that game and turn it on. So uh, interesting matchup with Oregon State, which took care of FSU pretty handily in round one. So that should be a, a, a nice matchup, a good game. Chris, I've seen some talk about this on um, on Twitter, and you know from the fan base. Are you seeing Aaliyah Boston sort of almost uh, maybe find another level of killer instinct uh, on the court? I think uh, she seems to be like such a sort of laid back personality off the court, and just seems to be um, like an awesome human being, but then so talented, and um, obviously just sort of walks into the footsteps of, of Asia Wilson. Hey, by the way, come, you know, come be the the post player in place of the best player to ever play at South Carolina. But yeah. has, uh, ha- has worn that well, you know, like has, has been everything you could have expected and more, but are, are you seeing maybe, maybe her take, take that next step as far as just saying, hey, this this is my team. I, I'm going to be the one to go make a play when they need it. It seemed like it. And and, and not she's always been someone that, like you said, is going to just play and, and back up, not have a lot of words, but just actions and back it up on the court. You know, even you see, you know, some big plays. If you had the game muted, maybe you wouldn't even be able to tell what happened because she'll, you know, go up for a layup, make it, get fouled, and, yeah, there's really no reaction, you know, whereas some people would get all fired up. She really doesn't have much, but I did notice in some of the huddles yesterday, things like that, she really took control of those, and she was the first one to speak, and she was sort of leading the team. So I do agree, and and I think that's something Dawn Staley's probably challenged her to do. Yeah, I think um will be fun to watch her continue. You got to – I mean, you got to remember she's still – this is a sophomore, so – what what will she become on the court uh, and as a leader before she's done? Uh, who knows? But she is obviously working on an absolutely stellar career. So shout out to Leah Boston. Shout out to the Gamecocks uh, taking the dub on Sunday, and then uh, we'll watch them Tuesday and, and see what happens. Um, I, I think that's it for the show. Appreciate everybody joining us. We had a had an active group in the chat, so appreciate everybody being on. Appreciate Clint Hammond. Sponsoring the show, ClintHammond.com, 803-771-6933. As I said, man, it was good to be back out there, put our feet on the grass, saw some football. Um, now Chris and I just have to figure out how to sneak out there and watch an entire practice. That's right. Um, when we do, we'll live stream it, uh, and it'll never happen again. But, um, Chris, good stuff as always, man. Uh, to everybody else, we'll see you all on Wednesday. Y'all have a good one.